Dead men tell no tales. Fifty men loaded in man's chest. Yo ho ho and a bottle of rum. Drink and the devil had done for the rest. Yo ho ho and a bottle of rum. What will we do with the drunken sailor? What will we do with the drunken sailor? What will we do with the drunken sailor? The ship with black sails that's crewed by the damned. Welcome aboard the Black Pearl. Welcome to the Black Pearl Show. It's the daily podcast where we analyze, scrutinize, and plunder, and plunder, build rat, the Pirates of the Caribbean films, one blimey minute at a time. It's the first and longest-running Pirates of the Caribbean fan cast, which broadcasts five and sometimes six freaking bloody days a week. I'm Scott Artis from scottartis.com. And I'm Heather Artis from blackpearlminute.com. Thanks for joining us for Minute 7 of Dead Man's Chest. I wasn't sure if I wanted to include any news tidbits before rolling directly into Minute 7. You know, it's a hand toss sometimes. Sometimes I do and sometimes I don't include little things. You sounded a bit of an announcer back there. I'm an announcer. (laughs) You want to hire me for your commercials (laughs) or your trailers? I'm here. How dare you? Seriously. That's my announcing this show. Getting people riled up. We just heard some drunken sailor funk time. Some dead man's chest. Low singing grizzled again voice. Now people are all hopped up, ready to get on to Pirates of the Caribbean Minute. And like I said, I'm not sure if I really wanted to start off with some news and tidbits. But then I came across a headline that just begged me to mention it. It's one of those headlines that if we didn't talk about it as a podcast dedicated to every single minute of the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise, we couldn't live with ourselves. That's how choice this is. Seriously, we might just very well be crazy. As crazy as this super fan apparently is. And he may actually listen to the show, or she could be any crazy super fan out there, because we want to know. I mean, if they're not listening to the show, they should be listening to the show. Oh, by the way, I also heard that Pirates of the Caribbean Dead Men Tell No Tales is coming to Netflix on January 2nd. Oh, really? The perfect way to break in the new year. Hot dog. And Netflix is what I'm here to talk about right now. Because anyways, here's the headline. Some masochist watched Pirates of the Caribbean on Netflix 365 days straight. Just one of several weird revelations buried in the streaming services end of the year report. Wow. Let's watch it every day. Yes. One of you potentially out there in listening land apparently streamed Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl, every single day this year. Oh. That's more than 800 hours of life spent watching Johnny Depp talk to cursed skeleton pirates or whatever, which is weirdly kind of impressive. A feat only rivaled by the Canadian who watched the third Lord of the Rings movie 361 times this year. Yes, the Pirates of the Caribbean Lord of the Rings rivalry lives on as well as the USA versus Canada friendly competition. Glad we pulled ahead. It's that's a good lot. To have that's a lot of times to watch that dark Lord of the Rings movie. Yeah, but what about the pirates? Well, the pirates is fun. What? Hey, Cassandra and Norman. That was Heather, by the way, who no, said I that mean, the, from Lord so of the Rings. Men dark and, and heavy. Pirates isn't dark and heavy like that. That's possible. The third one of the Lord of the Rings. I gotta is, rewatch the third Lord of the Rings. It's super to really get dark it. and it's, heavy. It has a lot of battle sequences in yeah, it, though. Yeah. 
because it's the Return of the King, right? Lord of the Rings, three uh, Return of the King. So one where they revive the well. We won't get into Lord of the Rings, but yeah, there's a kind of a ghost army, right, that pops out, which is kind of eerily similar to uh, Pirates of the Caribbean franchise with ghost pirate hunters. Yes. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. What the hell do we know? We haven't seen that in a while. Guess it's time to watch Lord of the Rings trilogy again. We haven't seen it in a while. days. We might. Times. We might. But yeah, Lord of the Rings minute out there. Something definitely to, to, something we can shoot for. Is to to get that again on the books. I'd love to see that in the end of the year report again for Netflix. Yes. Somebody watched it again in America. Who is this crazy person? And then like a hunt goes out across the world to find this person. Unfortunately, I really can't say anything negative about this because it could be a listener or Heather. Have you been watching this? Maybe I was repeating it over and over and over on on Netflix. It's possible. But what nerve would we have to make fun of somebody like this? Like I said, we talk about each minute of Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. Long live Captain Jack Sparrow and long live Frodo. They said 800 hours, but I'm sure by the time we're done with this, we'll have plenty of hours in our books yeah. when we do that. In the previous Cherry Minute, it's all about the laughs, Heather. A cliffside Turkish prison resort is complete with all the amenities. Everything one might need to kick off their shoes and settle back with the local wildlife while overlooking the Mediterranean Sea. We're walking... We're walking. Let's get the tour going. Here guests can enjoy walks by torchlight along a stone bridge, lounge in a handmade cage. Ah, feel that cool evening breeze. Forget the hustle and bustle of the daily grind as your hope fades while feeding the birds. (laughs) And when you are completely rested and ready to depart this world, take a private wooden casket ride in the swells as you float your way to eternity. It's the Mediterranean like you've never experienced it before. Minute 7 begins with the dumped prison coffins fighting the near-shore rough waters, which eventually give rise to calm seas after floating away. The camera zooms in to one of the coffins, which attracts the attention of a lone raven, who proceeds to land on and peck at the wooden casket. The minute ends with Captain Jack Sparrow using a skeleton leg to paddle the coffin towards a ship that has appeared in the nighttime fog. With the help of Gibbs, well, kind of, Jack climbs aboard the vessel as Gibbs, who's now holding the makeshift bone paddle, says, Not dot 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 heather mentioned it a bit yesterday because i'm just going to roll right into camera work but i really do love the camera work at the prison coffins in this turbulent ocean water and you brought it up yeah. yesterday were you t- i don't know if you were talking you weren't talking about the water though you were nope. talking more of the scenes on the prison when the they were closing, closing the door there's a lot of unique angles yeah that are taking place and that door is one of them the door's closing you're above the actual yeah. door you're not seeing it go in but you're seeing it from that kind of top version top down and like it really is kind of cool above. exactly and that's the same thing that is actually happening with the water here it's kind of that almost like a first person technique to, because it gives us that feeling like we're actually floating by the shore yeah. we're in the water we're close to washing up on the rocks and we're at the mercy of the waves and i really do like it. it's like you're so close to it you could just reach out and touch it yes that's what i like about it and that's all thanks to Darius Wolski, and he's the cinematographer on the film. And I think we talked actually about him in season one. Well, I'm, I know we talked about him in season one. And I really did love his work then in Curse of the Black Pearl. And so far, it's coming around nicely with the creative water shots again. We had a number of those in Curse of the Black Pearl, as I mentioned yesterday. And in minute six and seven, we also have our own water shots coming up on Dead Man's Chest. And those are the ones that are really catching my eye. In addition to things like I said, like uh, the rainy day teacups that we talked about, the sheet music that's wet, 
like the bouquet and Elizabeth kind of by her wedding altar or wedding. What is that thing called? Like an archway or whatever the hell it is. I didn't pay attention at weddings. (laughs) (laughs) I was hoping for an out-of-body experience, but it didn't happen. But the ship's rigging. That's all I'm saying. So there is some cool stuff that's going on. And as we said last season, Darius here, he sticks around through the first four Pirates of the Caribbean movies. And then he's actually worked with Johnny Depp before in films like Alice in Wonderland and Sweeney Todd. Mm. So there's a history there. He's brought back, but he didn't come back for the fifth one, Dead Men Tell No Tales. Since we're already talking production notes of sorts, I mean, what do you think about the music in this minute? You started to ask me yesterday about the music, or maybe it was after the show. Yeah, it was after the show. So you guys didn't hear any of that. So you weren't privy to that information. But yeah, what do you think of the music going on here? I thought the music is very fitting. You know, you have the, it's between this minute and the last minute, but you have the more of, I don't know, I kind of think of it as working type music or, you know, like working on the railroad type music. You know what I mean, though? You know what I mean? And it's more of like jail type. It's just real somber type. Is it, oh, oh, Rosanna. (laughs) No, not that. Not the fun stuff. Oh, not the fun stuff. (laughs) No. And then when you get to Johnny here. Is this going to devolve into a Blazing Saddles moment where you say, what about all the songs, the work songs, the railroad songs? No. Do you know Sweet Chariot? <laughs> no. Sweet, hang low, sweet, yeah. No. And then, you know, you got all the Cleveland Little saying, no, I don't know that one. Well, Camp Town Ladies. <laughs> what? Camp Town Ladies sing this song and then they start dancing around like a bunch of weirdo white guys. Yeah. Not and like- then they're all laughing at them. Yeah. Oh, so this isn't going to happen. Here. No, no. This is more somber music. Somber music. Oh. Yes. I just thought it was real fitting for the scene. And then when you come to Johnny, you have his hero music. Johnny? I like to call- I'm not familiar with that. <laughs> too. <laughs> oh, Captain Jack Sparrow. Yes. Sorry, when you I'm come into to Jack- this minute. Captain Jack Sparrow, you get his more hero type music. Yeah. So the music to me... And I had in my notes, it sounds a bit similar to the music in the original Pirates of the Caribbean ride at Disneyland. So I'm not exactly sure that it's exactly, not, not how many exactly, exactly. Yeah, I don't want to have like 50 exactly's in a row. By any means, I don't want to do that. But maybe it just reminds me of the Pirate Overture by George Bruns. And this is that music, I think it plays during the line cue, like when you're lining up waiting to get into the the boat. Yeah. There's this kind of weird subtle sound that that is played yeah. it's kind of a piratey bayou kind of thing and that's the feeling i get when we when we see this or hear it i should say when we hear see and hear this particular scene that's what's going on i get that old school the pirates of the caribbean scene? vibe the coffin scene okay we're in minute seven here the coffins are in the water yeah and that's what's floating on so among his work and i'm talking about george bruns is the song Yo-Ho, Yo-Ho, A Pirate's Life for Me, which he co-wrote with Xavier Tensio. He also co-wrote The Ballad of Davy Crockett, as well as the song Love from the Disney animated film Robin Hood. And then during the mid-50s, he adapted the music from Tchaikovsky's Sleeping Beauty Ballet for use as background score in the 1959 Disney film version of Sleeping Beauty. He also composed the score for The Jungle Book and provided Herbie the Love Bug with his sprightly theme song featured prominently throughout the series. That's George Bruns. Here in Dead Man's Chest, the music that's underlying the scene is called 
Can you guess? Dead man's chest? No. Oh. I've got an eye on you. <laughs> and it was composed by Hans Zimmer and is played during Jack Sparrow's escape from the Turkish prison, which we see here in the coffin. And it starts with some chanting, then moves to Jack's heroic entry, as you were saying, Heather, that kind of heroic thing. So good job on that. But the name comes from the prisoner whose eye is plucked out by the raven. That's where Hans Zimmer named it. I've got an eye on you. Very fitting. This track is also called For Whom the Bell Tolls, Jack and the Dead, on the film's complete soundtrack. But if you listen to part of it, it's not the whole soundtrack. The way that they play it, they you know have certain clips that yeah. they're using. Check it out. If you, you, know, you can go to YouTube and, and listen to the soundtrack of the original Pirates of the Caribbean, right? And you look, do kind of the opener, that line cue. It, it really does have some similar kind of tones and, and sounds to it. That, that's just me. But this mystery, kind of mysterious, weird music, not that weird is the proper term for that, but it really leads us to Jack's big entrance. It's blasting the raven from the coffin. Well, poor raven. I mean, seriously. Yeah. He just no. finished pecking out a guy's eye. I mean, maybe it's the same one. And perhaps about to rally his friends for an Alfred Hitchcock moment, but Jack obliterates it. It's just sad. I'm assuming this raven is also real. Why, until yes, he gets obliterated. That's right, it is. Because he looks really real. Really he looks real. really real. And you have real gall talking about me with the exactly's. <laughs> How dare you exactly make fun of me about that. But yes, it is a real raven. And you would have known this if you had paid scrutinizing, analyzing attention to this minute. Because did you notice that there's a band on the raven's leg? No. My screen wasn't big enough. That's what she said. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What in the time traveling thing is going on here? First, Gibbs is singing a song that hasn't been written yet. And then we get a banded bird. I smell something fishy out You're not here. supposed to catch or the birdie. band. I smell something birdie. Yeah. I caught the band. It was right there. But I look You're for that kind of stuff. Analyze it. and scrutinize. Yeah, a band. For those out there, bird banding, if you don't know, is the attachment of a small individually numbered metal or plastic tag to the leg or wing of a domesticated or wild bird to enable individual identification. Or the breeder, that kind of stuff. Here, this raven, if you look closely, has a band on its leg. Could Blackened you read out. its name? doesn't have a name on there, but have a tag number. But you can't because it's almost blackened out. It's like they put they blacked it out maybe with CGI or they maybe spray painted it black for the... It's not necessarily spray painted. This was a white raven until they got done. <laughs> they spray painted it. Actually, I even have a picture of us banding burrowing out. So maybe I'll add that to the Facebook group. Like an off-topic tie-in. Yay for conservation. <laughs> but not sure 18th century was banding birds. I don't know if they did that. You didn't look it up? You bet I did. Thanks for asking. I don't know how many bones I got to throw right there. <laughs> Skeleton, eye-plucking Turkish prisoner raven bones. But the earliest recorded attempts to mark birds were made by Roman soldiers. One instance occurred during the Punic Wars. Everybody remember that? Yep. In 2000... 2000. Just the other day, <laughs> the Punic Wars, ah, in the news, current stuff. In 218 BC, a crow was released by a besieged garrison. Quintus Fabius Pictor used a thread on the bird's leg to send a message back. In another instance, a knight interested in chariot races during the time of Pliny in AD 1, year number one, doesn't get better than that, took crows to Volterra, 135 miles away, and released them with information on the race winners. It's like an early bookie or something. How do I get this information? Let's send a bicro. Falconers in the Middle Ages would fit plates on their falcons with seals of their owners. 
From around 1560 or so, swans were marked with a swan mark, which is a nick on the bill. In North America, John James Audubon and Ernest Thompson Seton were pioneers, although their method of marking birds was different from modern ringing or banding that we see. In order to determine if the same bird would return to his farm, Audubon tied silver threads onto the legs of young eastern Phoebes in 1803, while Seton marked snow buntings in Manitoba with ink in 1882. Wow. Ringing of birds for more extensive scientific purposes was started in 1899 by Hans Christian Cornelius Mortensen. It's a heck of a name. Cornelius Fudge? <laughs> What's that from? How come I know that name? <laughs> a Danish school teacher he was, using aluminum rings on European starlings. So back to our scene here, because we're not going to go down bird, bird banding history. I know everybody's... Okay... You can check out my bird banding podcast daily, <laughs> three hour podcast each day in which we talk strictly bird banding. Back to our scene, actually, because we're dead man's chest, not bird banding. The action with the live bird was filmed on a prop coffin lid against a blue screen, not over water. So what you see there, the bird, not over the water at all. The real raven landed, pecked, and then flew away at the trainer's cue. The special and digital effects animators then used the arching formation of the flyaway shot to create the trajectory of the burnt bird corpse and feathers left behind. So that's how they did it. Pretty cool. Actually. Exactly. So they didn't really blast that raven into so glad. oblivion. So glad. Yeah, it's good for the raven. He can live again to pluck out another eye one day. Yep. Maybe his owners one day. Shouldn't teach your, do- your bird, your dog, your bird to pluck eyes. That's right. You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't teach your dogs to fight and you shouldn't teach your birds to pluck out eyes. Exactly. Hey, Pirates of the Caribbean Minute, the Black Pearl Show doesn't endorse cockfighting. There we go. I said it. So no chicken fighting, no dog fighting, and no raven fighting humans with eyes. But what's with the skeleton leg? That's what I got to know in this scene. What's with the skeleton leg that Jack uses as a paddle? I had a question on that. What? What's your question? So they waited until the dead were skeletons before they actually yeah. shoved them in the water? That's what I my question was. Because I have to imagine the prison was not making a habit out of keeping dead prisoners hanging around. Yeah. Whether piled up out back or even in a coffin. You just didn't keep a bunch of dead not around. with the sea right there. That's what I'm saying. I mean, just the, like the smell and the disease spreading alone. It's like, come on, guys. Let's think about health for crying out loud. Well, I don't think they care about the other prisoners. I think this is another prisoners. call for OSHA to come in <laughs> and uh, levy some fines against this prison. Unsanitary conditions. But it's got to be horrid enough working there for these guards. Yeah. It's just got to be smelly enough. Yeah. And I say that because we all know the guards didn't care about the inmates. We know that. There'd be smell of rotting flesh. And- yeah, but yeah, exactly. Surely they didn't want to be hanging around that stench. I don't yeah. care if they care about these guys or not. They don't want to be smelling that. The, the prisoners would already smell bad enough. Yeah. So I have to believe that they would dump the bodies as quickly as freaking possible. Yeah. Not wait for them to decay. Not wait for them to become skeletons. The only thing I can think of is that Jack is thinking ahead. He's like, hey, you never know when you might need a skeleton. Yeah. So he packed it in there with him. I mean, that's that's the only thing I can think of. I mean, it's already claustrophobic enough being sealed in the coffin. Could mm, you be on top Let of Let me a- get cozy with a skeleton. Yeah. Maybe as a former skeleton, he actually just thought of him as a friend. Hey, hey, you look familiar. It's like I've seen you somewhere before. Weren't we in Curse of the Black Pearl together? But it's, yeah. So I think that's the the downfall of that scene. Yeah. Well, okay. Besides the floating coffins, which I don't think necessarily happened. 
I just don't think that's plausible because I don't think they would have kept them around. I don't think that these things, they would just have skeletons lying around. Just for the disease and the rats and the mice that would be eating them. Yeah. Just be nasty. I mean, they might not get rid of them all in one shot. They might let some pile up a bit to walk down there because you know that they probably didn't care too much. But when yeah. they started stinking and things, or depending on where they were, but they weren't waiting for them to completely decompose. That's for sure. As much as for sure as I can be. I mean, advice to all you prison guards out there. Please throw your bodies into the ocean as soon as possible. Don't let them decay in your workplace. That's just good advice for prison guards of any century. Yeah. Just throw them into the ocean right away. Hey, it's up to you if you want to weigh them down with cannonballs or not. But let's just just throw the dead out. I hate to get on something that I've been talking about all along so far. But the parallels between the opening of Curse of the Black Pearl and Dead Man's Chest are stacking up. Like prisoner bodies around here. It's just a fact. Here you go. Jack's big entrance is captaining a non-traditional boat. Well, I mean, yeah. non- non-traditional for a pirate captain anyways. The first movie is the Jolly Mon. A sinking Jolly Mon. Yeah. Now we have Jack sailing or like paddling a casket. A callback to the first film for sure. It has to be. Yeah. There's just a parallel there. He's He's again not in his first entrance or his first scene that we see him in. On his ship or on a flagship. Well, again, it looks like he's lost the Black Pearl between the time within the year. Yeah, that's kind of what we, when we first see Jack in the prison, it, that's what it makes us think. Like, Jesus, has he lost his ship again? Yeah. It's like, my God, hold on to your ship, man. And then another callback is the purposeful shot of the full moon, which is partially obscured by the fog. Fog has always been a big part of the film, especially the Black Pearl in the movie. The curse is lifted, but... Maybe a little bit of that Aztec fiasco still follows the pearl. Okay? Yeah. We didn't see it when he sails off in the horizon at the end of Curse of the Black Pearl. But there is some fog here. Natural fog or unnatural fog. I don't know. But it is, if this ship that he boards at the end is indeed the Black Pearl, if we come to find out that it is, it'll be interesting to see if there's still some fog hanging around or what the cause of the fog is. Right. Here and there. The second part is where I really wanted to go, though. Is that we see a shot of the full moon. It's shown on purpose. And what's interesting is that Jack is using a skeleton leg as an oar. So we have a full moon, fog, and a skeleton. Which are like the symptoms and the basis for the curse in the movie Curse of the Black Pearl. Right. So I think that has to be a callback. I think they had to do that on purpose. They had to bring back all those elements. It's like a reminder and just a, a fun Easter egg to the first movie. Well, it was three years different. That's right. So So, maybe it's just... But it's just it was odd a reminder. That he's, yeah, using a skeleton and he's... Yeah, so there's just a lot of similarities between them. And then the last one that... Well, the last one I'm going to subject everyone to today has to do with Cotton. And we see him at the very end of this minute because he makes that like most briefest of appearance before our minute cuts out. It's almost exactly where we left off in Curse of the Black Pearl. and Because if you remember, Cotton was the one helping Jack aboard his newly acquired ship, the Black Pearl, at the end yeah. of that movie. In this minute, Gibbs does most of the legwork. Ah, pun intended. But Cotton is right there as Jack climbs aboard. And Cotton was the one, if you remember, was the one who was really helping Jack get on board in the movie. Yeah. So, I don't. I mean, that one may be more of a stretch, and I admit it, but it's just interesting that there's a lot of parallels between these two movies, at least in the openers. Right. So, that's all I got. That's it? Yeah. Do you have anything? Nope. That's all I have. I mean, I have crazy connections between the movies... And actually, that's about it. I mean, anything else on your end that 
you can think of? Or are we just going to call this minute seven and call it good? Minute seven's done. Because we don't really have, we still haven't gotten into the real movie yet. I mean, I'm really still waiting to get into the movie. Yeah. The nitty gritty stuff. And we're still kind of just setting character stuff up. And there's really no, well, there's no dialogue really here. No. A little bit. In the two minutes. Uh, Jack says a little little bit like, do you mind if I borrow your leg partner? To a skeleton. (laughs) Yeah. But other than that, we still haven't really gotten anything. And we don't even know the purpose of why he was in the Turkish prison. No. Why he was escaping or had to escape. We don't know any of that stuff yet. And why Gibbs is waiting out in the... In the water for him to escape. We don't have any of those informations yet. So, other than skipping the minutes and getting to the good stuff, I, I mean, we really can't because the rules state that we can't skip minutes. And we have to follow. The then, rules. where would all this historical tidbits and tangents come from? Where could everybody go? Man, I'd really like to learn about a bone church like yesterday or bird banding today. And I mean, this is all stuff you just can't get anywhere. No. This is Pirates of the Caribbean relevant stuff. I mean, for God's sakes. So that's what I have. Raven banding and all that fun, good stuff. So ready to call it good? Yep. So we'll be back tomorrow. Hopefully everybody else out there is back tomorrow as well with Minute 8 of Dead Man's Chest. And until then, scallywags, let's keep the horn swoggling to a minimum. Where's that grog? You drink that grog, like always. <laughs> Were you searching for it? was i searching for the grog i know better than to know there's no grog left if you're in here there's no grog that is for sure (laughs) you've been listening to the black pearl show and we appreciate it scallywags Heather, I know you're still on pirate time and kicking back with the booze, but you may have noticed. Actually, who am I kidding? The only thing you've noticed lately is the inside of the Faithful Bride Tavern. Anyways, our procrastination has paid off yet again and season two is here and we are willfully unprepared. Maybe we can distract people with a Jack Sparrow wave of the hands and send people across that thing called the internet. Check us out on Facebook.com slash Pirates of the Caribbean Minute, Twitter.com slash Black Pearl Men, Instagram.com slash Black Pearl Show, soundcloud.com slash pirates of the caribbean that's for best of clips and by all means give us a plug and review on itunes we'd appreciate it mateys oh and let's not forget the facebook cursed crew listeners group for post episode discussions that's actually a lot to remember especially if you're in a foggy haze like heather just go to blackpearlshow.com and everything is there at the click of a button perhaps i should have just said that from the beginning This is a Shoutreach Media Production. Pirates don't need no stinking disclaimers, but just for fun. I think all you dirty, filthy bilge rats know that Disney and Bruckheimer Films have no affiliation with us at all, and we have none with those blooming cockroaches. We talk about Pirates of the Caribbean, which is their property, and all that other fun stuff. But I think it's obvious what's ours and what's theirs. There's no need to blur the lines or stir up a bloody rum-filled sweat. As for the music... That's with permission or licensed under Creative Commons. So let's give a shout out to Ross Bugden, Six Nail Coffin, and Tommy Wynn. The rest? Well, that's just me. Oh, and maybe Heather.